Hello, and welcome to the Active Training Team podcast. I'm Jane Fenton, PR and Marketing Manager at ATT. I'm thrilled to share this latest episode with you. One of the key takeaways of our programmes is that everybody should feel confident and able to speak up in the workplace. But ensuring everybody has a voice is not just about health and safety. In this episode, we're talking about workplace equality, diversity and inclusion, or EDI. It's something that more and more companies recognise is important, not just to create diverse, vibrant workplaces, but actually it's critical for the bottom line. The UK economy faces huge skills shortages and never has it been more important to attract the best people from the widest talent pool. To explore this, ATT director Adam Christopher recently spoke with Dr. Ollie Falayan. I'll let him introduce himself. My name is Ollie Falayan. I am a chemical process engineer and then I work in the oil and gas sector. I'm the head of process and safety engineering at a consultancy called Optimus. And when I'm not doing that, I am a visiting professor to the School of Engineering at the University of Dundee. I'm also co-founder of AFBE UK, the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers. (laughs) Okay, so that's quite a lot going on for you then. <laughs> Ollie, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I want an elevator pitch for AFB. Well, the Association for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers is an organisation that was set up in London in 2007 for two reasons. Our experience of the workplace was such that it was quite challenging alongside all the wonderful projects we were working on. And I remember at the time, I didn't want to think of it as a race thing, some of the challenges I was facing, but I started to come across other people who were going through similar experiences. I remember looking up in my organization to say, is there anyone in a senior position who can understand what this looks like? And there was no one at the time with that sort of background. And in the Croydon area we're living, there was a lot in the news around youth violence, particularly affecting young black boys. So it was a desire to find those people in other organizations who could support each other and then to use that group of people to reach the community that led my sister and I to found the AFBE in 2007. And our objectives are threefold. We want to attract more people into the engineering sector. Two, we want to retain the talent that exists in the sector, because whilst one third of all British engineering undergrads are from a BME background, only 9% are in the industry. And we want to raise leaders and we work with 75 corporations in order to do that. So that's our objective as an organisation. We invited Ollie to visit Thrive, our safety leadership centre on the Humber. I think he liked it. It was amazing. I'd never been in something like that before, so uh, fantastic. Tell me why you, you thought Thrive was amazing and fantastic. Well, there's this thing I've always thought about how we get more people into STEM. And there's recently been 
an evolution, if you like, of that thinking from STEM to STEAM involving the arts. And I've come to the conclusion that the arts provide the best means of communicating STEM ideas through your mixture of acting for, you know, the use of various kind of multimedia. You know, at some point, I couldn't tell if I was in line of duty or the bill. <laughs> at the same time, I was here in towns being discussed that are part of my regular job. I remember the conversation that was being had between a younger engineer and this supervisor who was under pressure and how all of that company culture very much determines how context drives behavior is one of the things that we learn from our work. And that was so very well articulated. Did you say context informs behavior? Yes. Context drives behavior. Yes. Drives behavior. Tell me, tell me more about that. Most people want to be fair and inclusive in their behaviors. Most people want to operate safely, but quite often it is the culture within an organization, the expectations, the behaviors that are rewarded versus those that are punished. It's those things that dictate the way people behave. If you have an environment that isn't psychologically safe for people to say that, I think this cladding that we're putting on this building isn't quite what we should be doing. I know it's compliant with the standards, but it's not quite what we should be doing. If we don't have an environment in which people feel the freedom in which to say that, that then becomes the context. And I have seen some of the kindest, thoughtful people act in ways that were horrific, mostly because they had a boss or working on a site where certain behaviors were rewarded and certain behaviors were discouraged. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense when it's put like that. And I think we root all of our work in emotional intelligence, which I liken to a muscle that has to be exercised, has to be woken up. It, it, you have to go to the gym. 100%. Like. Yeah. And if someone hasn't been encouraged to exercise it, then they go along with the flow and and they fit in to a culture. I, I have seen and I've spoken to engineers who, who opposed particular decisions being made by their employer on the basis of their engineering judgment, who have been threatened by the manager that if you persist along this line, well, there will be consequences for your job or consequences for your appraisal. You, you then got two choices. You can deal with the conflict of doing something that isn't in line with your best judgment, or you can just comply altogether. And the consequences for that for personnel that work in that area, the, the most vulnerable who could be affected by the decisions that you're making could be quite serious. And so the constant question that we as engineers are constantly having to ask is, am I using my best judgment in this? And am I willing to be open enough to hear the views of others? And, uh, you know, would I be willing for uh, some problems with what I'm working on to be pointed out by somebody, maybe somebody less qualified? And I think those are the questions that we have to often wrestle with as part of the job that we do as engineers. So what's something that we do on our on our programs at Thrive and at the other centres that we run is that we flag up at the end of the day to the client people that we think, wow, these these people are natural born leaders. You need you need to have a conversation with them. 
But equally, we, we, we flag up the people that we're concerned about. We encourage people to show dignity and respect. Mm. Because for us, the biggest challenge is the people that we turn, the people yes. that we convert. Yeah. I mm. want the people where front of house team are telling us this person's effing and jeffing, they're, they're complaining mm. about being here, they're angry, and they, and they literally try and not watch the mm. event. But ninety nine percent of the time, they come up to the team at the end of the day and go, "Wow, that that was that was useful. Thank you." Yes, that's fantastic, isn't it? It's, uh, that's powerful, and you know, it sort of reminds me of a lot of the work that we try to do on diversity and inclusion, actually, because but you will sometimes come across those sort of differences of opinion or people who just don't think this is the right direction. Speaking about safety, I remember being in a taxi some months ago and this man said he used to work in the energy sector and he said he left it a long time ago. I says, why did you leave? He said, I was tired of all the safety stuff. And that made me laugh because it reminds me of what the common reactions would be to efforts to kind of drive diversity and inclusion within the industry. And I think, as you've rightly said, there is, there is little value to be gained from a place where everyone thinks the same or everyone's already bought into it. One of the things that I talk about, a place they must begin, is that place of candor. And candor isn't just about those people who just happen to be affected by some of the exclusion. It's also about people who are in the majority who might feel that the pace of change is a bit much. And I'd like to be honest about where I'm at with this. I don't want to just nod along and pretend that I've got no issues with it. Because when I go home, when I'm down the pub, what I talk about is very different from what it's like in this particular environment where I feel I've got to say the right thing. And if we know we're getting somewhere when we start to create the spaces for certain voices to be heard, but what you did there is is what leaders should do, which is find a way of, you know, try and find the right context in which such people can be brought back in uh, and involved, made part of the conversation. Something that was said by, to us by a guy grumbling was, what's wrong with a PowerPoint session? Why, why do you have you spent all this money? And again, I was saying to the team, this is, this is born out of fear, so don't, don't worry. Mm. It's, not, it's not a personal insult. They're, they yes. are afraid of change. And I think that yes. the same applies in the EDI world. That, yes. That, well, you you can easily substitute what you said uh, a moment hmm. ago about why well, hmm. I, I got out because it's all about safety. I got out because it's hmm. all about or PC gone mad or it's all about yeah. giving a shit about hmm. other people. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> absolutely, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, and you know, it, it, it you, you stress there the importance of leadership in actually just connecting the dots. Um, and you can say much of the, what passes for diversity and inclusion training today is, well, we're doing it, okay? It's important. The standard says so. That's why we need to do this. No recognition of exactly where people are. 
what their concerns are. And, you know, we could have just made the assumption, you guys just been here for so long and you're not going to understand it. And we could have tried to sort of ram this new project down their throat and we wouldn't have gotten anywhere. But by listening, by starting from a position of listening, trying to understand exactly what the concerns were and trying to link them up with ultimately what we're trying to achieve, we had them on side and we did this for session after session after session. And even in cases where we had some operators who were being particularly disruptive all the way through, they still came back at the end to say, that was really good. I thought, really, I wouldn't have thought so <laughs> with the way you know they kept interjecting. But it meant that when we then went on to implement the change, the process of commissioning, the process of, of, of operating went without a problem. Hitchery, you know, it just reemphasizes this point around leadership and communication. And, you know, like the example that you had about the people who were disruptive, trying to hear people out and thinking of ways of just making them part of the conversation. I think that's so right. Making someone feel part of a conversation. Stephen R. Colby talks about that, doesn't he? We, we as a species want nothing more than to be heard. Mm. Um, mm. I've had to deal with some of my own preconceived notions. When I walk into a room and I see this person who is probably a man who, a middle-aged man who I think there's no way he's bought into what I'm talking about. And then they walk up to you at the end and they were, mo they were more with you than you even thought. And then you realize that, right, maybe I was the biased one here and I needed to, I need to re readdress that balance. You've got to think about where people started their journey right? Whatever that journey is, journey to safety, journey to EDI. And the expectation uh, that they suddenly would have bought into absolutely everything that we're sharing is probably not a fair one. And so sometimes I understand that I might be number one, number two, number three in, in a sort of a line of people who will eventually demonstrate to them the importance. And so in one sense, having the humility to accept that we can't change everyone and we can't get everyone to the final stage at, you know, at every stage is also a very important part of this. What we always encourage people who are booking a day with us, they say, oh, it's all our operational guys or it's all this group of people. We say, can we not mix the group up, please? Mm. Because mm. there's a, a wonderful opportunity for a shared learning experience. Not only will you have a, a more diverse way of thinking coming out yes. that, that people yeah. from different educational backgrounds from different cultures from different having different experiences mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a struggle to convince people to do that mm -hmm. but i certainly saw the value of that when i was sitting in the room there were people there who in the session that i attended who were ex-military just a, a variety of, of backgrounds that people brought in. And I saw firsthand what you're saying in terms of just the diversity, really, of people in the room. You know, something that we often say about um, organizations is hierarchies exist in organizations. And just because there are layers within an organization doesn't mean that there needs to be distance between the layers. 
And I think, for example, when it comes to EDI initiatives, we're still thinking about it as this other extra that needs to be done that is really just getting in the way of the real business, the real everyday business. It is then up to the leaders within an organization and the leaders at every level to start to connect those dots and to communicate that, reiterate that consistently to the rest of the uh, staff. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, 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 from a business perspective, we decided to use our work predominantly for health, safety, well-being. Mm. I don't think you can differentiate. You can't. You can't tear apart or have as an extra EDI. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's there. Yeah, and and it's because it's how we treat people and it's how we yes. get on. I would say that a byproduct of mm. ATT's work mm. is one of the byproducts is people are are more likely to go home safe, happy and want to come mm. to work the next day because it's a safe yeah. environment psychologically and physically. However, yeah. another good good byproduct of, of what we encourage people to think and do is mm. you get good people wanting to come and work for you. That's right. That's As right. in experts, you also retain mm. your good people that you're not 100%. having to go through that yeah. huge cost of recruitment. And actually yes. your productivity is probably going to be, be very uh, profitable. Yes, that's right. That's right. There is a, a guy called Nigel Boker who's done a lot of work on what he calls uh, mental safety. He's a safety engineer by background, and he's written a book on, on mental safety. And he is encouraging the industry to get to a point where we start to think in terms of parity when we think about physical safety, think about mental health. So he would say things, for example, like bullying and harassment should be as unacceptable as working at heights without a harness. And in many ways, that is one of the ways in which well-being and by extension, diversity and inclusion ties in to almost the raison d'etre of, you know, what it means to be safe. Part of that journey has to be, involves something, idea that is probably more theological than it is technical, but is this idea of grace, enabling people a little bit of space to to get things wrong because if you have if you have an environment in which everyone's got to say the right thing you end up in a dreadful place where people just perform and they're not being honest about what they really think and, and because of that whatever change you might see is superficial and doesn't last Ollie, it's been an absolute joy uh, <laughs> meeting you and talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening to this ATT podcast. It's hosted by Adam Christopher with support from me, Jane Fenton and Sophie Jones at ATT. And thanks to Dr. Ollie Falayan for his time. You can find more episodes of our podcast at activetrainingteam.co.uk. The podcast is produced by Alexandra Quinn for Loftus Media.